Our guest speaker tonight uh, was with us last year. Many of you had very high praise for our speaker last year, and we wanted him to come back again uh, because he's such a great communicator of God's Word with power and is very uh, knowledgeable of God's Word. And so we invited our friend Nathan Diller. I went to school with Nathan um, at Freed Hardeman and his wife, Sarah. Uh, Jency and I were in the same social club as they were, and so we have known them for many years, and we're very excited to have Nathan with us. Nathan is the current uh, pulpit preacher at the Rose Hill Church of Christ in Columbus, Georgia. Uh, he's been there right before COVID. Uh, he got there, and so he's been there for about a year and seven months, eight months, something like that, he said. Uh, and so he's been there for a good while, and he's making a big impact in the Columbus area. Uh, he received his Bachelor of Arts in Biblical Studies uh, from Fried Hardeman in 2017, and he received his Master's of Divinity from Fried Hardeman in 2020. He and his wife, Sarah, have been married since January of 2017. I was in the wedding. I was a fill-in uh, for one of their groomsmen. Couldn't make it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it was a great day, and uh, Sarah's here with us tonight. So please be sure to meet her. She's up here, sitting up here with Abigail and Betsy. Uh, but Brother Diller, Nathan, is going to be extending our first lesson in our summer series tonight as we start trying to be fruitful in our life, bear fruit in our life, and as we continue to look at the fruit of the Spirit uh, this summer. And his summer series lesson tonight is going to be entitled, Bearing Fruit. Nathan? There are a lot of things that I would like to say, and last year I got up here and I roasted Ben just a little bit, but the thing is we're having Ben come to Columbus at Rose Hill in a couple of months, so I can't say anything right now out of fear that he's going to say something in a couple of months, so we're going to leave it at that this year. But it's good to be here with you, and it's good to be here as we are journeying out of COVID uh, a good bit, and uh, it was a, a different feel last year, I know, in, in pretty much every way, but uh, I'm sure we have people watching online tonight as well, but last year it was, I think, about 95% online and 5% here, because it was just coming out of uh, the, kind of the first wave and everything, so it's good to be here. If you want to be turning in your Bibles to Galatians 5, that's where we're going to be here in just a little bit, Galatians 5. Uh, the, the topic that I have been asked to speak about is bearing fruit and uh, studying what the Bible says about bearing fruit. Now, I want to start by saying that whenever I hear uh, a sermon or a class or uh, um, whatever it is, a podcast, I hear teaching about things that we ought to do as Christians, and I am a preacher, so I preach a lot about things we ought to do as followers of Christ, um, there is, in my own experience, and, and maybe you feel this way, maybe you don't, maybe I'm all by myself on this, uh, somebody can uh, just nod their head if they, they feel this way as well, but sometimes it's like we go uh, into church and we're carrying five bricks in our backpack, right? We're carrying all this obligation, things that we know we need to do better at, things we know we want to improve on, and yet, we, we come and we sit, and, or maybe, uh, if you're me, you get up and you preach and teach, and you're trying to preach to yourself as much as anybody else, but we find ourselves uh, walking out of church carrying tin, tin bricks in our backpack, all of a sudden finding that we now have even more obligations, even more awareness, I guess, of the things that we are not doing that we know we really ought to do. And, and I am under the persuasion that, as a general rule, we ought to think the best of each other, and I hope that you'll think the best of me, and I'll think the best of you. I don't think there's anybody in this room tonight that would say, I have it all together. I know in every area of my life, I am just the way that I want to be. My guess is that you would say, I know that there is room for me to grow. I know that there are, there's not just one area, there's all these areas of my life that I would like to see improvement in, 
And we wrestle with that, we struggle with that, we, we strive to grow, and yet at the same time, we feel, I think, very much like Paul in Romans chapter 7, when he says, hey, I know the thing I ought to do, but the thing that I ought not to do is what I end up doing. Uh, I, I want to do what is right, and yet I find myself so frequently doing what is wrong. He says, hey, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know? So Paul says, I am well aware of the reality that we know these are things we want to do, we, we need to do, and yet we feel a, a very uh, strong sense of being inadequate to do what we know we ought to do. And that might seem like a strange way to introduce the topic of bearing fruit, um, but what I'd like to say is in Romans 7, you know, verse 24, which is uh, really we could read verses 7 through 24, but in verse 24, Paul finally just exclaims, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And sometimes when we come to God's word and we start to think about what is required of us, even the, the title of my lesson about bearing fruit, the imperative of bearing fruit, the biblical command to bear fruit, we might feel this verse, verse 24 of Romans 7, come to our mind and think, I, I'm, I want to bear fruit. I've been trying to bear fruit, but maybe it hasn't been as easy or, or as fruitful as I would like, and maybe not as fruitful as you would like either. Uh, here's kind of where we need to come into Galatians 5 and think about uh, the fruit of the Spirit and bearing that fruit in our lives. Uh, if bearing fruit means trying very hard to be a good person and to tell other people about Jesus, which is sort of how what we think about bearing fruit, if it is just trying hard to be better, we have to admit that we are not going to be able to bear the kind of fruit that we need to be bearing, that we're not just commanded to bear, but uh, we're going to see a lot more instruction about that bearing fruit in just a moment. A and at first we resist against that and we say, wait a second, we ought to try hard to bear fruit, shouldn't we? And I think you'll see the answer to that is yes. But here's the problem. In your life, I'm guessing there's some areas of your life that you've been trying to be better at for a very long time. And you wake up perhaps each day and you think, today's the day. I'm going to really do this well. And, and maybe you do for a day. Maybe you do for a month. Maybe you do for a year. And yet you continually find yourself not being who you want to be. And we keep looking at ourselves and saying, if I would just try hard enough, then I would be able to accomplish what I need to accomplish. And we tell ourselves that year after year after year, and maybe you know the saying, um, that, well, there's the definition of insanity, we could talk about that, but you also might know the saying that if you keep doing what you've always done, you're going to keep getting the results that you've always been getting. Anybody heard something like that before? If you keep doing the thing that you've always done, you're going to get the result you've always gotten. And we come to our lives and our spirit, we take an inventory and we say, here's these five things about my life that I think I should do better at. And we start in on trying to do them on our own power, by our own strength, by our own will. And pretty soon we get those five maybe mastered. But in the process, we've lost five things. We've got to figure out how to get those right now. And then we come over here and we get those and we've lost those. Or maybe we, we don't lose any, but we just keep trying on these five areas and we never make progress. And so the question tonight is, is there good news about bearing fruit? Ben and I are, are gospel preachers, we're called from time to time, right? Uh, we, we're proclaimers of good news. Is there good news about bearing fruit? Or am I here, I should have brought a big pile of bricks, you know. Am I here just to give everybody another brick in your backpack and say, all right, get after it, you know, let's see what you can do. I like to say that uh, I hope, my prayer is that I'm here to bring you good news, not just to burden you with your sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth brick. And the reason I think I am here to bring good news 
has to do with what happens with John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3. And you can, I've got a lot of verses to reference, and I'm not going to have time to go through every single one, but you can write it down and you can take a look at it. But in Luke chapter 3, we hear about John the Baptist preaching. And John the Baptist, in his preaching to the people of Israel, uh, all of a sudden the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they see everybody coming out to John and being baptized. And for fear, I think, of losing their influence, losing their power with these people, uh, the Pharisees make their way out to be baptized by John in the Jordan River. When that happens, uh, John says to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath that is coming? But do you know what he says next? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So there John is, and he says, hey, you've got to bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. But then you keep reading what John says in Luke chapter 3. And in verses 10 through 14, uh, he basically tells the people about how they need to be generous, to be fair, to be just, how they need to not take advantage of other people. And he gives them all these important commands, you know, these ethical commands about how we ought to live. The Bible is full of that kind of instruction about, um, you know, being patient and um, not judging. You know, all these different commands the Bible gives to us. We could read Matthew 5 through 7 and get all these different instructions from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. So he gives them these instructions. Hey, bear fruit. Look at the things that you need to be doing. But in verse, uh, verse 18 of Luke chapter 3, John goes on and he, uh, Luke writes about what John was doing. And Luke says, with many exhortations, John preached good news to the people. With many other pleadings, imploring them, begging them, um, challenging them, he's out there speaking to them and he's saying, here's some changes that you need to make in bearing fruit and all of this. But at the same time, Luke says that John came and proclaimed good news. So apparently it is possible for us to think about learning to bear fruit without losing good news in the process. Uh, without it becoming just about what I'm capable of doing on my own or, or basically a, a self-help type thing where I'm going to get better. Apparently there's a way for us not to separate fruit bearing and the gospel message. And that's what we want to do tonight, because we don't want to lose the good news in saying, here we got to bear fruit and miss out on really what we're going to see is the gospel is the means by which we are even able to bear fruit in the first place. And, and we'll see, I hope, what that means in just a few minutes. The, the profound reality that I want to show you in Galatians 5 is that if we learn about the gospel, and we truly embrace the gospel, we will learn that the gospel can empower us not simply to do better, but to be better. And there's a fundamental difference between doing good things and being good, isn't there? Um, I'll just use an illustration for you. If someone commits murder, someone murders someone, we would say they, not just they did murder, right? They, they committed murder. We would say they are a murderer, right? It's not just what they did, it's who they have become. Uh, when someone tells a lie, and this is, we struggle with this mightily, I don't think anybody in this room would have an objection to raising your hand and saying, I have told a lie. But how many of us want to raise our hands and say, I am a liar? That's a little different, isn't it? It's one thing to say, I, I have done the wrong things. I, I've done bad before. And it's a whole other thing to look at, be able to look in the mirror and say, I am bad. Very different. And so we're going to see here, I think, from Paul, that we can learn not just how the gospel helps us do better, but how the gospel changes who we are. 
and I don't want to get ahead of myself. So let's, let's, if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to be going through really the whole chapter. Because in Galatians 5, uh, starting in verse 22 and 23, we're not going to read that right now, but uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, uh, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which is undoubtedly where the theme for this summer series is coming out of. And you're going to be talking about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You're going to talk about all those things, I'm sure, over the course of this summer. And so uh, I'm not going to come here tonight and, and go through and do a topical study of each of those things. That, that's not my uh, mission for tonight, not my purpose for being here tonight, and other people are going to do a great job uh, with those topics as well. But what I want to show you tonight is that Galatians 5, 22 and 23 are not sort of um, just to be cut out of there, out of Galatians 5 and held up and, you know, kind of put on your coffee mug or something like that. It's fine if you have it on your coffee mug. You understand. We need to understand the context of Galatians 5 if we're going to truly grasp what it means to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Because Paul is in the middle of writing this letter to the Galatians when he writes about the fruit of the Spirit. We want to have that fruit in our lives. But if we don't hear what he's saying in Galatians 5 verses 1 through 21 and 24 through 26, then it's going to be hard for Paul's message to truly resonate with us in the way that it needs to. And so I want to show you uh, basically two fundamental truths about the gospel that are foundational to our bearing fruit based on Galatians chapter 5. And the first one, we had to look no further than Galatians 5 verse 1. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. In Galatians 5 1, Paul starts by simply saying, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He says that for freedom, Christ has set us free. So, who set me free? It wasn't me, it was Christ, right? Who set you free from your sin? Who gave you freedom from uh, not just the eternal consequences of your behavior, but also from sin's grip on your life? Who set us free? Jesus Christ. And... This part of this first truth, I don't think is that hard for us to really grab hold of. I think we'd all be readily willing to say, I was saved by grace. I was saved by grace. If you, if you haven't been saved by grace, I sure pray that you'll do that today. It's an amazing feeling to know that your sins have been cleansed by the grace of Jesus. But we wouldn't, we wouldn't hesitate to say, I have been saved by grace. Uh, Paul talks in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He says, by grace you've been saved through faith. And then he doubles down on it and he says, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. So Paul wants to make it abundantly clear to us that our salvation in no way depended upon our ability to walk in before the throne of God and say, let me put the resume on the desk, Lord. I, I think you'll find I lived a pretty good life. I think you'll find my good outweighed my bad. I think you'll find that I, I needed you to make up for a few things that I couldn't get, but my good deeds were also pretty good, God. You know, take them both, would you? He said, no. Um, by grace you were saved through faith. This not your own doing. It's the gift of God not of works so that no man can boast. I don't think any of us would have trouble saying, I needed the grace of God to save me. But, but here's where it gets more interesting. Here's where it gets more challenging for us. Because in the next verses of Galatians chapter 5, Paul is going to add that we are not just saved past tense by God's grace, but we are are still being saved by God's grace. Maybe this isn't something that, that you deal with, but at times in my life, I have felt like, uh, you know, when I got baptized, I kind of got a clean slate from God, and God gave it back over to me and said, okay, I've cleaned it up, you take it from here. I've cleaned it up, now, now it's on you to keep the slate clean, right? Right? 
And so each time we make a mistake, all of a sudden we don't have a clean slate anymore. And, and we, what do I do? I'm, I've done something I shouldn't have done, you know? And so we, we come over to God and we say, ah, no, I'm not ready for that yet. You know, we, we go and we do some more things we shouldn't do. And before long, the, the, the slate is so full of, of filth and stain. And eventually we reach a breaking point and we say, I guess I'm going to turn back to God because I, I can't keep it clean. We'll get it washed off by God. And then we come out and we say, okay, here we go. I'm going to keep it clean this time. And we just rinse and repeat, literally, rinse and repeat the slate over and over and over again because we think that God has saved us and then he says, now you figure it out, you take it from here, and uh, you know, if, if you have to have me at some point, you can go ahead and come back over and I'll find a way to clean your slate and then you can try again. But what Paul is going to say is that if our salvation depends on our ability to become morally perfect, then we're in big, big trouble. Uh, specifically in verses 2 through 6, Paul talks about wanting to go back to the law, really adding the law to Christ and saying, I am saved because of what Jesus has done and because of my ability to keep the law really well. He says... Um, I'll just start in verse 2. Uh, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, okay, that's part of the law of Moses. It was a way that the people in Paul's day were saying, I must be saved because I was circumcised. God now is in my debt because I did the thing I was supposed to do. Now you God, you got to do what you're supposed to do. So it was a way of saying, because I've done what I ought to, God owes it to me. Uh, which, you know, we, we could see if we went back to that analogy of murder. Uh, if a murderer does something right, we would never, he would never have the ability to say, now you owe me to give me my life back. Uh, but yet that's what we do with God. Anyway, he says in verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision. Every person that takes Christ and wants to go back to the law that he is obligated to keep the whole law. He says if you want one part of it, you're going to have to take it all. You can't just have part. If you're going to say, I'm saved because of the law, my adherence to the law, he says then, then you're going to have to follow the law perfectly, not just the parts you think you can handle. Okay, I said I was going to read more, but let's just pause for a second, shall we? Do we not do this in our life sometimes? Do we not tend to look at other people that have different temptations than we do, and because they don't have those temptations under control, and we do, we elevate ourselves to superiority, a position of superiority, not realizing that they have temptations in control that we do not have in control. So we say, if you're going to be saved, Surely you must have this under control, and that guy doesn't. And meanwhile, this guy over here is looking at me and saying, if you're going to be saved, surely you've got to have that under control, and he doesn't, right? So we look at people, and we put ourselves in a position of superiority only to realize our hypocrisy in thinking that we have somehow, um, because of our ability to adhere to this or that particular thing, we elevate ourselves. And he says, if you're going to do that, if you're going to try to pick and choose, I'm going to be saved because of my performance in this area, he says, then you're going to have to prove that you deserve to be saved on the basis of every area of your life. If you're going to make your performance the means by your sal of your salvation, then it's going to be more than just, I did these few, few things right. I, I, I was a churchgoer and uh, I worshiped the right way, and I prayed the right way. If you're going to make it, I'm going to go to heaven because of how good a person I am in one area. You've got to make it how good a person I am in every area. So he goes on. By the way, verse 4 is a very haunting verse to me. It's extremely strongly worded, not as strongly as verse uh, uh, 12, but we'll get there in a second. Uh, he says, You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified 
by the law. I wish the verse ended there. It doesn't end there. You have fallen away from grace. I, I don't think you can find a more strongly stated condemnation of the legalistic mindset than Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. Because he says, if you're going to go down this road and think that you were saved by grace, but now you're saved because of your ability to get things right, then you've totally missed the whole picture. Because when, when God saved you, it's not as if you woke up the next day and all of a sudden you were going to walk through life and say, I'm a flawless human being. And yet on our good days, we somehow start putting our faith in ourselves rather than in God. And when we do, you know this, I know this, when we do, we find ourselves going back to sin because we have let our guard down. and We think, I really do have this all together. So he says, hey, if you're going to do this, you are cut off from grace. Uh, we could look at, at verse 6, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Only this, faith working through love. But as you continue reading, he, he goes on and he says, um, the, the, the offense of the cross has been removed if, if it's Jesus and something. Jesus and my behavior. He says, uh, the scandal is gone. The scandal of the cross is salvation by God's grace. That's the scandal. That's the thing that, that is the stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God's grace saves. Now, we go back here to Galatians chapter 5. And, okay, I confess to you, I'm taking the long way around to get to bearing fruit. There's a reason for that, and I hope that you'll see it here in just a second. Okay, when Paul goes on in verses, well, verse 12 especially, you know, he says, I, if you're going to do this, I, he says, I wish they would just go all the way with circumcision. Uh, if they're going to go there, then, then go there. We won't get into perhaps the graphic nature of what he says. But the, the reality of what Paul drives home, and this is the truth number one, if we're going to bear fruit, we have to be able to 100% embrace salvation by grace, both in the past and in the present, we can also say in the future. We have to be willing to look at God and be able to say, I was 100% in need of grace to make it to heaven when you saved me, past tense. But I also understand that I am still 100% in need of grace if I have any hope in this life. 100%. Not 99% in need of grace, and 1% is up to me. I need God's grace. You need God's grace. 100%. There's not a single piece of merit that we have in our lives that we can come up to God and say, you got to let me in. Don't you know who I am? Not a single thing. We've got to have a firm belief in the grace of God if we're going to bear fruit. Here's the secret verse, or the, not a secret, but here's the key verse to Galatians 5 that's going to lead us into our second point. And it's verse 5. I skipped it intentionally. So we've talked about we need to be saved by God's grace. And, and he says in verse 4, you don't want to fall away from that grace. But verse 5 says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Through the Spirit, we're waiting for our hope in faith, by faith. Sadly, and I do not presume for one moment to be elevating myself to say, I've got this all figured out because I don't. 
But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I think we all have a lot of questions about how the Holy Spirit works, what His functions are, roles are. I don't even know if I like the language of what is the Holy Spirit's role. Uh, I, I, God says, I am who I am, right? So He is who He is. But uh, I, we, we get a little bit uncertain about exactly how the Holy Spirit works. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Hebrews uh, chapter 2, and we know God's in charge, but we don't know exactly how it works out, you know. So we, we don't really understand the Holy Spirit very well, and I'll be the first person to admit to you, I don't have as good of an understanding of the Holy Spirit as I'd like to have, but Paul says that we're waiting for our hope through the Holy Spirit, and he's going to go on all throughout Galatians chapter 5, and again and again and again, you're going to find this Holy Spirit popping up. You're going to find, and I wrote down you know, several of these passages in Galatians 5 uh, that I could just read off to you, and, and you can look at them, but um, we could start in chapter 3, just two verses there. Um, he says in verses 2 and 3, let me ask only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So he said, hey, have you received the Spirit? Do, do you have the Holy Spirit? He said, you, you have it. You have Him, I should say. You have the Holy Spirit. But did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, here we go, this is everything. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Having begun by God's salvation, the grace of Jesus, the power of the Spirit, having started there, are you now going to turn and rely on yourself? And he says, are you so foolish? And perhaps I can confess to you that in my life, I have been so foolish. I've been so foolish many times to think, to allow pride to continue to grow up in us and say, you know what, I think I really... It, it always seems to happen this way that when we're saved, we have this huge awareness of our guilt. We know we need salvation. Immersed into Christ, come up out of the water, we feel so forgiven. And we start making some changes, and by God's grace, we're seeing some growth in our lives. And then before long, we go from kneeling before God, pleading for grace. Before long, we start walking along, and we're thinking, you know, I am pretty good, aren't I? You know, I, I think I am. I think I do have this together pretty well. And so we see how, how that tension plays itself out in our lives very often. But the Holy Spirit is so important, and I'm just going to read you several different passages here very quickly. The Holy Spirit is so important in Galatians. In Galatians 4, verse 6, Since you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Galatians 5, verse 5. Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves, ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. We just read that. Galatians 5.16, For I say, walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5.25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's just in Galatians. Apparently, the Holy Spirit's pretty important to Paul in the book of Galatians. But we could rewind the clock. Uh, we could go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, which I think is probably on like every Church of Christ billboard, you know, it's like Acts 2, 38. We all know Acts 2, 38. But in Acts 2, 38, when the people are cut to the heart and Peter tells them, uh, they say, what do we do? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We, we think about Paul further in Ephesians chapter 1, a book away from Galatians. In Ephesians 1, Paul starts out by laying out this, these cosmic blessings. Uh, he's blessed us in every way. Every spiritual blessing has been given to us in the heavenly places. He, he goes on and he talks about the, the forgiveness that we have in Christ. We've received His grace. He said, in Him we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1, verse 7. Forgiveness. we got to have it. That was point one, right? We, we must have the grace of Jesus. We need forgiveness. But we need more than forgiveness. 
Because even in Ephesians 1, Paul goes on in verse 13 to say that we need the Holy Spirit to seal us, to guarantee our inheritance, to, to mark us as God's people. Uh, what we're going to find is that we need the Holy Spirit not just to mark us, but um, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, we need the indwelling Spirit to, um, to adopt us into God's family. Uh, through Him we've received the Spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, which is very similar to Galatians chapter, um, chapter 4, verse 6. In one of the most succinct statements of the gospel, in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, uh, Paul talks about how uh, the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of works which we had done ourselves in righteousness, but according to His mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, He just keeps on showing up in all these passages. And Paul, in Galatians 5, where he talks about uh, this fruit that we need to bear, not only is the Holy Spirit prevalent throughout that whole chapter, when Paul gets to the fruit, what is it called? The fruit of the Spirit. It's the Spirit's fruit. It's not my fruit, actually. It's God's fruit that God wants to grow in me. And so I need to know that I have to have God's grace to save me then and now, but I also need to know that I need to have God's grace to change me today. I need God to forgive me, but I also need God to transform me. I need His fruit to grow in me. Let me use an agricultural metaphor, if you'll let me. James chapter 3 uses this exact same thing, verses like 12 and 13. Can a fig tree bear olives? Somebody answer that question. Can a fig tree bear olives? Can a, this is not agricultural, but it's close. Uh, can a salt water pond bear fresh water? Any, any takers on that one? Can you, get, can you go scoop you up a cup of water from the ocean, let's say, and it'd be fresh water? No, no, you can't. A fig tree can't bear olives. But let's say that I cut down a, a big branch of a fig tree, and I brought it in here, and I, I laid it on this really nice table right here. I put it there. That fig tree is going to be doing everything it can to try to survive even though I'm not going to see it, it's going to just look like it withers away. But there is no way that fig tree laying there, that fig branch laying there, is going to start producing olives. In fact, I don't even have to cut it off. I could go over to the tree. I could see it. Uh, we have uh, a garden at our church building, and there's a fig tree there. I could go stand by the fig tree, and I could look for as long as I want and try as it might. That fig tree is never going to produce an olive. Maybe you're starting to see where I'm headed with this, but if I, through my decisions to sin, if I have walked away from the, the vineyard, if you will, if I've walked away from God's presence, I'm not a, I'm not a spirit tree. I, I'm a sin tree. And no matter how hard I might want to try to produce spirit fruit, if I'm not connected to the Spirit, there is no way, no matter how hard I try, that I'm going to produce Spirit fruit because I'm a sin tree, sin branch. If you think about it again through the illustration of you cannot change who you are. There's no way to do it. Um, someone that commits murder, we'll go back to that one more time. Um, uh, he doesn't just commit murder, he becomes a murderer. When you sinned and I sinned, we didn't just do sin, we became sinners. And as a result, no matter how much we want to exert ourselves, we can never truly bear the Spirit's fruit until we become connected to the Spirit. Now, 
we think about how prevalent that idea is in Galatians chapter 5. Walk by the Spirit. If you live by the Spirit, then keep in step with the Spirit. Um, you receive the Spirit. Have you begun by the Spirit? He, he goes o- over and over again, and he wants to lay down that point. But I want you to turn now to John chapter 15, and this will be the last passage that we look at tonight. John chapter 15. And I think John 15 ties up together what I've been trying to say this whole night. Because if you're with me up to this point, you might be saying, Nathan, are you saying that I, don't, I, I shouldn't try to follow God at all, that uh, there's just going to be some sort of magical things going to take place and I'm going to be a totally new person? And you've only heard me speak once, but I think you know at least that's not what I'm saying at all. It's not that you're going to wake up one day, put in zero effort, and all of a sudden you're a brand new, uh, new desires, new everything, and you don't ever sin again. Of course I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, no matter how hard we try to produce fruit in our lives, a branch can only produce fruit if it's connected to the tree. And Jesus, in John chapter 15, he talks about how he is the true vine. And repeatedly he says that we need to abide in him. As he abides in the Father, we need to abide in him. But in John chapter 15, when Jesus talks about him being the vine, it's really interesting what happens between verses 2 and 4. I don't know, some things, I I read them and I never notice them until one day I wake up and I read it and the Lord just graciously helps show me that I've I've missed this. I I missed this for a long time in reading John 15. In, In John 15, verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So he says, hey, you've got to bear fruit if you're going to be my disciple. You've got to. It's an urgent, it's an imperative thing. But then he says in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So I've brought you the gospel. Abide in me and I in you. That would be that truth number one we talked about from Galatians we got to be saved by God's grace. And Jesus looks at the disciples and says, you've been made clean by my grace, so your bearing fruit is not going to earn your way into glory. You've already been cleansed. But he says, abide in me and I in you. Here's, here's just the passage, that this verse just says it all, really. The bran- as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine... Neither can you unless you abide in me. So often in our lives, if you think about a branch, here's the tree, here's the branch, and here's where the fruit ought to be. As the branch, that's us in this relationship, right, with with God. We don't see fruit cultivating in our lives the way that we would like to see it. And so we turn our attention this way and we start trying to will it to to bear fruit. You know, come on, I'm going to be more patient today. You know, I'm going to be more loving, more kind. And Jesus says, the only way you bear fruit is if you are connected deeply to the vine. Your ability to bear fruit is only as good as your ability to cling closely to the vine, which is Jesus Christ. Our, Our ability to be changed to be different people today than we were yesterday is not primarily about how much better we can do things today and more about how much more closely we can connect to Jesus. And if we are connecting with Jesus closely, then all of a sudden we start to see fruit bearing in our lives. That if you take, a, if you take a, a fig tree branch and you chop it off and you throw it on the stage, no matter how much it focuses on bearing fruit, it's never going to. But if that branch is taken back and is grafted back onto the tree, to borrow some more biblical language, and is connected again to the life source, which is the tree, all of a sudden the fruit starts to be 
developing and growing. You see, the point of pretty much everything I've been saying is when it comes to bearing fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, all that that we want to bear, reaching out, bearing fruit in the sense of evangelism, when it comes to that, so very often our attention is on the fruit or lack thereof when our attention ought to be getting close, walking with, knowing Jesus Christ. And as we strive to know Him better and to live out His will in our lives, here, here's the thing. That, and, and He says it in John 15, verse 2, about the whole pruning business. A tree cannot prune itself, can it? I've never, I don't think a tree can just decide, I'm going to just lose this limb today. You know, I, I, maybe there are some trees that do that. I don't know. He says, you, you, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and my father is the vine dresser. He comes in and he takes off what is not bearing fruit that doesn't have a connection to the vine. He, he just throws it out. But the ones that are bearing fruit, the ones that are connected and are beginning to grow, he comes in and he strips off what needs to be stripped away in order that it can bear more fruit and cultivate more. Now here's the thing. We have, we want to bear the fruit not of Nathan's good ability, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We want to be spirit branches connected to the Spirit. We want to be people that bear the fruit of Jesus, that are connected to Jesus. And so, as a result of that, as a result of our need to stay closely to the vine, closely to the branches, we think about the fact that we cannot change who we are, we can only change what we do. We can only change, strive to change our behaviors, but what God's promise to us is, when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, what God's promise to you and me is, is that as we strive to do externally what God has asked us to do, God has the power to do to us internally what we could never do to ourselves. I can change, by God's grace, some of the things that I do. And by the end of my life, hopefully, I'm able to change almost all the things that I shouldn't do, that I do, or that I don't do, that I should do. I am able to change some things about what I do, but I can never change who I am. But God can. And He does. And that's why I desperately need, and you desperately need, to have the Spirit's fruit in our life. Because we only have the Spirit's fruit because we are connected to the vine. It's the only way we have the fruit growing in our lives. And so, if I have not connected with God and tried to walk hand in hand with God, keep in step with the Spirit in my life, no matter how hard I try to do better, I'll never have Spirit fruit because I'll never have been connected to the vine. And that, I think, I pray, is a message of hope for you tonight. Because as we strive to follow God, God does to us inside what we can never do for ourselves. One verse, last verse, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 12 is a kind of a frightening verse at first because Paul says, um, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You probably know that passage. Pretty scary verse, right? We got, this is serious business, and it is serious business. We want to strive to let our salvation flow out into our lives, to live it out, to, to follow the precepts that God has commanded us, to abide by His instruction. We want to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. But what does verse 13 say? For it is God who works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. There's the principle right there. We work out our salvation. We strive to follow God and to walk closely with him. We strive to, to be more loving and patient and kind. All that, we strive to do those things. But as we work it out, God works it in. And it starts to become not just something that we do, but someone that we are. Have you ever thought, God doesn't say, I do loving things. What does he say? I am love. God is love. God is light. 
He doesn't just do light things, right? He doesn't just flip on a switch every now and then. He is light. We can do loving things. We can do... Um, we, we can do things that are kindly. We can do things that are, we can control ourselves in some sense. I can never be love without God's help, without God changing who I am. I can do loving things, but I can never become a, lo- a person of love without God. So we work it out, and he works it in. And, a- and we trust that as we work it out, stumble as we might, he is faithful to finish the good work that he started in us, that he'll see it through to the end. And if you're here tonight and you're saying, uh, I, I think I need to have not just that forgiveness, but I need to have the Holy Spirit's aid in changing who I am. We want to see nothing more than you come to a relationship with God. Um, even we can look back at Galatians 3, where uh, Paul says, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's no slave nor free, no male and female. You are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If I want to be a child of God, if that's where you're at tonight, we want to offer you the invitation to come now as we stand and sing. worship service, uh, my prayer that we all say in our hearts that it is a blessing to be here, to listen to uh, the speaker, and we pray that you will uh, open our hearts to what was said, and we pray that we will look to you and allow, submit to you and allow uh, your, you to work through our lives to show the fruit that's pleasing to you. We realize that there are some that are not here tonight because of health issues, and we pray that you'll be with them. Um, We pray that you'll be with us as we go through the rest of this week, and uh, we pray that we will bear the fruit uh, around those who uh, we are in contact with, that they may ask uh, about you, and that we may uh, tell them about you and spread your kingdom. And we pray all these things through your son's name.